0: Welcome to the Kill the Lion Podcast. It's me, Cody Clark, and we have Ethan Hansen here, one half of Doomed Productions, him and Jordan Ross from the previous episode. They have an awesome studio on YouTube. They put out truly independent feature-length films, really good stuff. If you like this episode, check out the Jordan episode. If you like the Jordan episode, check out this episode. These are kind of sister episodes. If you Listen to one, you better listen to the other. Before we begin, best way to support the show if you like what we do, killthelinefilms.com. You can support us at $2 per month. It goes to the show, it goes to the studio, it keeps us afloat. And now, Ethan Hansen. Ethan, good to talk to you. Hey, thanks for having me on. So I just watched. I just watched House and it was it was the scariest, truly independent <laughs> film I've ever seen by a wide margin you You went for the scares I feel like October was just this like safe thing I could show a kid or whatever you went you went for like unnerving me in particular. I feel like the first <laughs> third of that movie i was i was legitimately a little bit scared oh well, thank you.
1: <laughs> I appreciate the praise yeah um I think one of my favorite parts about Jordan and I's thing is that, yeah, we have the range we can kind of pull off because like our first most of our early movies were like really goofy. And then it's really fun, though, that we can also like bust out the spooky stuff whenever we want. And it's, it's a fun genre to play around with the horror stuff. So, yeah, thank you for the compliment.
0: Yeah, that's what I like about you guys. You guys, you guys like all movies. You guys seem to like all genres. You're just gonna do what the uh, the project calls for, or the idea you have calls for. As far as horror, do you do you tend towards the more scary stuff? Do you like the you know tamer kind of like Universal horror, like Dracula stuff, or what? What's your your taste as far as that?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, like we love all movies. Um, Jordan and I both like it. I'll watch pretty much anything and have a great time with it. Um, in terms of horror specifically, I'm actually kind of a baby. <laughs> like I remember when I saw it was hereditary in theaters. Like I think that's one of the scariest movies ever made, at least recently. I watched like the bottom corner of the screen for a good portion of the movies. I was like, I wanted to see what was happening, but I was too afraid to like make eye contact directly with the movie. But, you know, I, I'll watch pretty much anything. I love like gory like not super gory i'm not a big like saw fan or anything also but like you know i like zombie stuff um spooky ghost stuff really anything but also i I love like the campiness i mean we kind of grew up on like the vhs era and you know kind of going to blockbuster and watching like going to watch halloween or or friday the 13th like those kind of movies are really fun to watch and i I, but all horror i'll watch pretty much whatever's thrown at me and and it could be a good time
0: Nice. I like the uh tactic that you you gave of of watching the lower corner of the screen. That's a is that is that something you recommend those at home for movies that uh, they're a little scared by? Is that is that a winning uh thing that you do?
1: Well, I mean, I paid for a movie ticket. I'm not going to not watch the movie that I paid for. So, it's like I got to get my money's worth. So that I if if that's how you're feeling about a movie, like yeah, I think it works out pretty well, but I was still like, <laughs> I don't know how much it really helped me. I was still freaked out the whole time. So, But you can try it at home. <laughs> Get back to me on if the tactic works for you viewers at home.
0: So you mentioned the old VHS horror stuff. that I have a, an affinity for that stuff as well. I feel like there's a certain scariness to the degrading of the quality of a VHS. You know, when you watch something that's like crystal clear on DVD or Blu-ray, you know, sure, it can be scary, but... I feel like these movies that you watch on on VHS, they take on a certain life of their own because by the amount of times it's been watched, it becomes something other than you know what the filmmaker intended. It becomes this uh, used object, whereas like a used DVD, like unless it has scratches that that make it like skip or whatever, it just kind of looks the same. You know, I I think you can get a little bit scarier with the vhs in that in that way how, how do you feel about uh vhs as a format and its kind of capacity in that regard okay
1: you this is a, a topic we can go deep on jordan and i jordan opened my eyes up to vhs i had kind of moved on from it you know i was dvds and streaming was kind of where i was at and then jordan started showing me these kind of private projects he was working on um where he was taking modern movies that had like man of steel and other like shows and stuff that he really liked. And he was converting them backwards to VHS. And I had never heard that this was possible. Like in my mind, you know, VHS was a a dead format and I didn't give it much thought that kind of drew me into like, okay, I want to see more about this. So he kind of introduced me to it and I got to kind of rediscover a love for it. Both as like a format and just a, a fun tool to play around with for filmmaking um, at the same time. Cause we like to use it in our movies um, in October, it has a, a big role that uh, it plays with one of the characters being on a TV and we would actually like write the, we we put the f- the footage from that we shot uh, for the movie onto a VHS and we would play it on the TV. So we actually like got to use it in our movie, which was really fun, but it's just got, like you said, it's got this cool, it has a, a kind of a life beyond just what you put on it because it, it, it does degrade and I can kind of see an ex- if I was... You know, making a horror movie, that I knew was going to go on VHS. I would be excited about the aging of it because it, like, the quality goes down, things get obscured, and you can't quite see what's happening. And I think that's kind of the most fun part of horror as a genre is, you know, you don't have to show everything. And I think House is a something I I got to learn more of that through making it because I couldn't show a whole lot because I didn't have a whole lot to show. So using, you know, obscuring. Uh, Whatever is in the frame with with light or with with darkness, and like just using sound and atmosphere is kind of the thing. I think VHS has a kind of a an atmosphere to it just because of it's because it's not as high quality, it's not as good, you know, on a technical level. Um, but that's where a lot of the fun comes in. And of course, like I think the VHS aesthetic is kind of making a comeback right now, and I think that's kind of a neat thing for it too. And I think we're going to see some cool uses of that, whether it's you know digital and people are manipulating. Just files on their computer, or if they're actually going to try and use it, I think there's a valid use for both. And I'm excited to see kind of what that second life VHS is having right now is going to look like.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I'm of the firm belief that there's no such thing as a dead format. I think there's just interesting ways to, you know, do something. if it's if it suits what you're doing, you know, all the power to uh, all the power to whatever you're using. In that regard so w- with house it it is kind of like a grainy film there's a lot of compression going on and i i know you know from my own experience when you do low light stuff youtube you know when you upload it it just kind of like turns it to crap you know just in general was that something you anticipated were you just kind of like i'm just going to roll with it because it, i think it does give the film a bit of a ghosty quality that i don't know what it looks like you know non-uploaded non-compressed but it does have this like interesting thing uh, to how it is on YouTube in its current form.
1: Yeah, I so I, it was a conscious choice of mine to use my phone because I knew it wouldn't look as good because in kind of Jordan and I's relationship in making movies, he's definitely more of the writer and I'm typically more behind the camera. I focus a lot on the technical stuff. And so I have an eye for, you know, I like things to look really nice and crisp and high quality when, when you know, when necessary. And I had kind of been in that boat for a long time. And when we had started set out on a project, uh, our project for making a feature film by ourselves uh, during the summer, right when when COVID hit, I was working on a project for a couple of months where I wanted it to look really nice, really polished. It was this kind of sci-fi comedy thing about a guy whose dog gets abducted by aliens. He's got to get it back. And I really put a heavy emphasis on making sure this movie looked great. So I was like. I was hazing some shots. That you have streams of light coming through windows, like all this stuff, to make sure the look was great. I was shooting out on like a cinema camera. I was pulling all the stops, but where I wasn't putting a lot of focus on was the you know telling a good story. And I and I could kind of feel that, and there was a frustration there. And I kept trying to work really hard to keep good momentum on shooting, while also making sure this like the story was coming together well. And ultimately, I had to. I decided to back away from that project because. I I knew that there were too many faults in the story and that it just was going to be a nice-looking, mediocre movie. And I just didn't want to make something that was just mediocre. So I switched to shooting a little comedy about a guy and his imaginary friend on my phone. But again, I just didn't take the time to tell a good story before I just jumped into filming. And so this kind of leads up to the day of shooting House. I had shot a couple more scenes for this imaginary friend movie, wasn't feeling it, and I was like, you know what? This isn't happening. And I was about to totally not make a movie, no house, no anything. But I decided, oh, I'll shoot something weird. I had like an, you know, I've been reading this book called House of Leaves and there are some cool ideas within that. I was gonna,
0: I, yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring it up because I I grew up on, you know, the first wave of that book's popularity and I definitely saw the influence on, on your film, which I was happy to see because that movie, I mean, sorry, that book comes in waves. Like people rediscover it over time. And you know it's a wonderful book. Uh, Talk a little bit about the influence uh, there.
1: Yeah, so so I had been reading that book um, on and off, like up to that point. Like I would read it for like a month, and then I kind of set it down. I'm I'm a pretty slow reader, so I would just kind of go through it in chunks. And so that was just kind of living in my head. And like nine o'clock at night comes around, I'd I'd had a you know a day where I was kind of coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to shoot the imaginary friend movie, and I started this thinking well, I'm in a house, uh, you know, it's kind of that thing of taking account of what what you have access to, which is kind of where Jordan, and I start a lot of times with our movies. And I was like, well, I have this house. And I was like, well, you know, House of Leaves takes place in a house. So you know, there's the first connection. Um, and I was and I just kind of came up with these like broad scenes, whether and not a lot of it really borrows from House of Leaves too much. Um, but I like the idea of like, there's the scene in the book where like there's the staircase that's just kind of is infinite. And so I I made sure to put that in as like a no, it's like, okay, infinite staircase. What else is happening? I kind of came up with these jumbled ideas that I just kind of weaved into each other. And I, so I just would write out like a couple, like a sentence of like a guy's in the house. He's drawing a map. He hears a weird sound and that would be scene one. And I did that for eight scenes total where I just kind of would give myself little prompts And then everything else, I would just act out in the moment as I would shoot. So I would set up my camera, usually in kind of a wide, and I would act it out. And then I'd be kind of thinking as I would go, like, oh, okay, I want to get a close up of that one little reaction of myself. And I would just shoot it chronologically. And then I just kind of kept going and going. And the story kind of evolved as I I went. And I kind of found the story as I shot. But ultimately, you know, I came together and I I couldn't tell how much I had shot even. I in my head, I thought I'd shot about forty-five minutes over two nights, like forty-five minutes worth of the movie. And in the end, it was more like twenty-seven, twenty-eight minutes. And that's kind of what I brought to Jordan and was like, "Hey, is is there something here? Is this is this you know anything decent?" And he was like, "Yes, this is this is great, but also we need to shoot more." And so we ended up tacking on a third day where we shot the second half of the whole movie. We shot in just a, a day um,
0: where everything after I crawl
1: through through the weird blankets.
0: So very you know by by any stretch like a pretty quick shoot you know only three days that's 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 a lot of usable footage for you know three days worth of shooting
1: yeah and and then the first day I I only shot about eight minutes of the movie I shot the first two scenes and I sent those off to Jordan I kind of talked about this in director's commentary of the movie but I kind of told Jordan like hey if this isn't good, like that's fine. I'm not, I'm not married to this project, but, but he was really adequate at, or adamant that I, I kept pursuing the idea um, which was great because I, I was kind of at the point of walking away and just giving up. Cause yeah, I just, it was one of those, it was a great learning experience going through the project. Um, and I, I didn't really know what to expect coming out of it. And I got to kind of discover a whole different way of filmmaking that up to that point, I would have kind of really shied away from and, you know, I, And there's an influence there from Joel Haver and a lot of his work, uh, particularly Island, and just kind of this different, just slowly getting introduced to this different way of filming, other than the more traditional narrative style that kind of Hollywood shows that kind of really helped grow me as a filmmaker, I think, by kind of getting to abandon that and try something totally different from what I was used to.
0: So did the idea come to you vertically, you know, as far as the aspect ratio? When did you settle upon that? Because, you know, of course, of course, with a, you know, a, a phone camera, you can shoot, you know, vertical, you can shoot horizontal, you can chop the image up however you want in post. You settled on like a very specific unusual uh verticalness. Um what what made you go in that direction with that?
1: So in my imaginary friend movie, I was shooting before the imaginary friend was a paper bag puppet, kind of like in Joel's movie uh, Island. Mm-hmm. And so the height difference between me and that character was was kind of a challenge. So shooting horizontally just didn't make sense. So I I had really liked the idea of shooting vertical for that movie, and and it just kind of carried over. And and I think you know the claustrophobic vibe that you get from these really tight shots on me, where you know there's no play to the left or right of my head, and I don't know. It it just has a a great look and I didn't really have to take much time to think about it. There was a point when Jordan and I were kind of discussing the second half of the movie where we for a really long time thought it was going to be horizontal for the second half and we were going to completely change the aspect ratio. Um, But just in doing some quick little tests of like trying 16 by 9 or 4 by 3, it just didn't look as good. It felt kind of weird. And so I just decided ultimately to keep it uh, It's vertical. So it's 3 by 4. Four, three by four, four by three. I can't remember. It's three by four. Yeah. That's the actual aspect ratio of it. So yeah, just not too, not too tall, not too wide. Just, just kind of a, yeah, a funky. It's a, it's a weird aspect ratio. I totally agree.
0: And so what, what, what camera did you, um, I, what phone did you use to uh, shoot it?
1: Yeah. So it's a Google pixel four. So it's got a notoriously small battery. So I'd have to take a lot of breaks to charge up, but what was nice, I have um, moment lenses, for it, so um, there's little add-on lenses. So I had a I had a telephoto and I had a, a wide. So that kind of helped me keep the shots varied and made it easy for me to. Um, I don't know. I feel like it helped the movie kind of feel more interesting. Not that you couldn't shoot the whole movie this with just your stock camera lens. That would have been totally fine. But I liked the fact that I could, you know, get these really tight close-ups on me and that the focal length could change and just kind of helped give it an extra layer of. Stylization and all that, and I think that was really great. Um, it shot at thirty frames a second too, because that's just the only option you have on this phone. So it's kind of like tech on the technical level. It's not great, but I, I part of the reason I shot it on a phone was to get away from as many technical, like being as technically correct as possible. Just because I, I get tripped up on that all the time. Where it's like, oh, it needs to be, it needs to be really sharp. It needs to have really high quality. I don't want YouTube compression to ruin the whole movie. And this was just me kind of letting go of all those holdbacks and just letting the movie be what it is. And if, and if it looks bad, that's okay. And if people don't like it, that's okay. Because I walked away from it really happy. And Jordan and I really weren't sure if this would be a movie that would be liked by anyone. But we kind of made – I made this movie for me. And it was just a movie that I really wanted to see. And that that's where that kind of went.
0: So are you are you a lens guy in general? Or are you kind of like a lens nerd like me where like you just kind of like hunt lenses all the time and are just like building your collection of lenses you love and whatnot?
1: Yeah. Camera tech as a whole, it's so much fun to get into. But yeah, lenses are super fun. I've had great restraint. I'm really proud of myself really for not buying every lens I come across that looks weird. I really do try and like I have to know that I can't use any other lens to get this shot and then I would buy a different lens so but for the i have a project this year that i'm looking to shoot um on like some like vintage 50s lenses so that's kind of like the next thing i'm kind of waiting on it's like okay once once this project is written out i can buy like two more lenses for myself as like a present so <laughs> but yeah it's i love camera like technical stuff and jordan doesn't care for it at all so we kind of he he handles a lot of the writing stuff for projects we're working on together and then he lets me just kind of do whatever i want with the cameras and And all that, which is great. And I do a lot of photography on the side as well. So I'm always, you know, dinking around with cameras one way or another.
0: I uh, tend towards the kind of like the 70s, like Nikkor uh, lenses myself. I like those kind of like old prime lenses that like, you know, randomly you can get pretty cheap or whatever. Um, And then you can just stick on, you know, whatever modern camera you want to use. You know, it's basically a world's your oyster um, as far as camera bodies, uh, what, what do you like to stick your lenses onto?
1: I'm a Canon guy. I've just been, you know, that's what I started off on. I had a Canon, uh, T4 i as like my first real like camera. And so I'm just, I, I'm used to them. I like them. I'm kind of at an interesting point now. So I have an EOS R and a C100, um, right now as like my main cameras and the c 100s just not doing it for me anymore. So that's kind of, waiting to be sold right now and then i'm kind of at this point where i'm like what what do i buy instead and so i've been looking at black magics i've been looking at buying another eosr and i, I just haven't decided yet and i, I got time I'm, it's not a rush so i'm just kind of biding my time waiting for the right right find
0: yeah, that's the thing about camera bodies is like you wait a couple months and then, you know, everybody that was saying like some camera was the best one, suddenly they're saying some other camera is the best one. Like it's a total buyer's market. Whatever you buy, you know, you're getting a, a, a damn good camera body these days. You know, there's, there's very tiny nitpicky things from like one to the other. Or if you're trying to do like, you know, super high frame rate. You might want one or the other if you're trying to do low light, whatever. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm totally happy with like my GH2, which was like the darling camera when it did come out, and then everyone kind of just like kicked it to the curb once like something like slightly better was around. But like, you know, I started out on the Canon 2, uh, T2I, so like a couple generations before a T4I. I loved that camera. I loved the kit lens on that camera. I did my first two movies that way. And I, I had a blast with that. There isn't really, I don't think there's like a bad camera out there. And like, I try and find like, you know, there's gotta be some camera you can do nothing with. that just was a total like failure. And I can't really find that. Like it, there's, it, it, it's amazing that like this truly independent filmmaking age is coinciding and i don't think it's you know an accident but it's coinciding with this time period where like you can go into any store that's selling cameras used or new or whatever and anything you buy within the last 15 20 years is is going to give you something usable for a project
1: yeah and what's great is you know people are constantly turning over their bodies and buying you know what's hot and new so like my EOS R, I was able to get a really good deal on. And I bought it used. And my C100, I bought that used too. It's like, don't buy a new a new camera unless you really like cannot live without this feature that this new camera has. Like, it's not it's not worth your money. That money could go towards so many other things. Like you could be feeding a crew for an entire week off of the food or the money you'd be spending on a brand new camera. But you know, just it's it's not bad to buy buy used. And even even still, like if you're just starting out, like your phone is great. I. I love shooting on my phone. I'm looking forward to the next time I decide to shoot a feature on my phone because it's just so easy. Like, house looked better on my phone than it did on my DSLR just because the way the phone compensated, tried to compensate for the lighting, like, it just did a better job. And, and I, like, grainy footage, I don't think most people care about grainy footage. So you can get away with just so much. Like I said, like, I if you were just starting out, like just shoot on your phone until you absolutely cannot use it for a project and that's when you upgrade and that's kind of the mentality i've tried to stick with and it's hard when you're a gearhead to like have that restraint because man there's some cameras that are out right now that are new that that are really exciting looking and i would love to try them out but i'm doing my best to to not
0: yeah i um my most recent film attack of the giant blurry finger i don't know if you've seen it or not but not i shot i shot that on an iphone 6 and, you know, that's just the phone that I have. I have, you know, a crappy old phone that's like barely alive. And I was able to do things with that phone that I wouldn't have been able to do with any of my DSLRs or even like, you know, whatever the newest fangled camera is, simply because, you know, the whole conceit of that movie was that I was holding my finger in front of the lens as I was recording and I was using a forced perspective where the conceit was that. The, uh, the monster itself was blurry. So you kind of just buy into the blurry aspect and you get past it that way. And I found that like with my phone, I could use my finger in more places in the frame. The, the, the image stabilization was in many cases better than on my DSLRs. You know, it was, I could get better camera moves and that's not even, you know, one of the top of the line iPhones like you. And if you look at like iPhone filmmaking and like, you know, what Sean Baker did or what Steven Soderbergh did or any number of other people, you don't see the iPhone 6 mentioned much. It's kind of just this phone that exists. And I was able to mine something out of it. I think every phone you can probably mine something out of. And you got to appreciate what you have, you know, in your hands as far as what you're working with. And if it works for the project, it works for the project. And, you know, if somebody, you know, likes Blurry Finger, if somebody likes House, you know. I'm sure in some capacity, you know, if the movies get big, then the phones will shoot up in price and people will try and, you know, ape the very specific stuff that you're trying to do. But, like, you know, you never want to be chasing that. You always want to be setting the the bar as far as what's cool and whatever, because then there's more freedom because you can buy stuff for cheap and, uh, you know, use it. You don't have to spend, like, you don't have to be one of those, like, skateboard kids that, like, buys like a you know a three ccd you know camcorder for like a thousand dollars that like you could have gotten for like 20 bucks a couple years ago just because you know some new skateboard kids are are shooting with some crappy old camera and they want to do the exact same thing it's like you you want to set the uh the cool factor i i feel
1: yeah yeah and i think part of the you know going back to what we were talking about earlier with vhs and the kind of the degrading quality I think for for horror as a specific genre like phones are so great because that's something everyone has and so you know the found footage genre especially I think there's a lot you can do now in the phone era Jordan and I were talking earlier this week about like would it be wouldn't it be so awesome to make a horror movie shot on your phone like where you release it one part at a time on like TikTok or something like your whole TikTok page is like just this horror movie building it's set and it's set up like a normal person using their TikTok like anyone else would. And it slowly uncovers this story and the realism that comes from that, that that's like, that's 90% of your movie right there is just the fact that it feels real. Cause it's shot like real. It's not like you're shooting some cinematic movie and you're releasing it one part of time. It's like, no, it, it you're just that the, the accessibility towards like shooting something great just because you have a phone in your pocket is, is so cool. And I think it's like one of the best things you know of this decade is the fact that we all have a phone we can edit a movie on fully and it's and it's great looking like you don't have to worry
0: yeah whenever you have that opportunity and the opportunity changes over time because different tech becomes the the accessible thing but you know when you, when you can tap into a natural believability that's like totally organic and relatable for the viewer you can do something a little bit more mysterious, kind of like what you do with House, where like I'm watching House and I'm not entirely sure that what I'm watching isn't a, a performative thing by the the actor as far as the character goes. Like, I don't know if the character is videoing themselves uh, and, and making something, or if the character is existing outside of it. And I like that, I don't know that. You know, I as the film goes on, And becomes more clear that like, you know, it's it's not you know a found footage thing or whatever. But I like the fact that like, you know, you you put that film on, you're 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 launched right into what you're watching, and you don't have that chance to uh, you know know exactly what you're in for. That's that's a really um, fun aspect of what you put together. How was the you know like it's such a stupid thing to talk about because you know we. we make movies for nothing, but what was the "quote unquote" budget for uh, <laughs> what you did? Because it seems yeah. like you bought a lot of apples and then called it a day. Like, uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this movie could have been so cheap if it wasn't for the apples too. So, the <laughs> you know I bought three lighters and you know I think that was like six bucks or something. Like there's a Seven Eleven down the road I just went to real quick and because I had this idea, I had no pl- time to plan, so I just found the closest Seven Eleven and went there. And yeah, I just bought some lighters and. I think that was, I can't remember if I bought anything else other than the apples. So I think it was 50 bucks total because I bought like $40 worth of apples or something. I can't remember. It was was too long ago. But yeah, about 50 bucks.
0: What made you buy the apples? Was that, did you know what you were going to use them for ahead of time? Or were you just like, I'm drawn to these apples. I need these apples. I don't know what it is yet. Like, what what was it? Um,
1: They're really easy to get a hold of a lot of them. And they're easy to eat at least I thought they were easy to eat when I chose them. So and I and I wanted it to be like, OK, and the original like there's such a crazy story behind this whole thing, because we were going to shoot the whole second half of the movie where it's like that black void that I'm walking around through it was going to be set in the woods. Um, and we, the table I was going to find instead of being, you know, bare was going to have like all this food on it. And I was it was gonna be like a full feast, like turkey, like mash, like a, a Thanksgiving dinner style thing, like with the with candles. It was going to be a whole thing. Um, But we had these awful forest fires, you know, up the whole West Coast, but in our area too. And so the place we were going to film at, uh, which is a buddy of ours, like property, they had to evacuate. So we and like the whole air around the city was like toxic. You weren't allowed to go outside pretty much. So we're like, well, shoot, how are we going to shoot this, this movie, this ending? So ultimately, we chose this building I had access to that we could shoot in and block out all the windows. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get all this food. I'll at least get a bunch of like, I was going to, I changed it to where like there's going to be all this glass, these glass apples on the table that would turn into real apples at a certain point. So I was like, I'm going to go to Goodwill and I'm going to pick up some glass apples because I figured that's something that you'd have in like, people would get rid of and it would just be in the glassware section. And there was one glass apple I was able to find in all the stores, there was one and that's the one that's in the movie. So I was like, well, I'll just have that and then apples will appear. And then I found out that it's really hard to eat like a bunch of apples really quickly Because like the insides is really soft and you can eat that fast. But the skins like are so thick after a while. And I had to eat them really fast. And so I'm like trying to shoot this. I have one take to do this thing. So I want to make sure as many apples as possible on on set or in the shot. And so I'm like, (laughs) I can't fit any more apple in my mouth at a certain point. So if you're watching me, I'm like eating it and letting it fall out of my mouth and and, like trying to make it look good. It it was just a whole thing with the apples. But um, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it added this like quality where you're like, oh man, this guy hasn't eaten in so long that like it's almost like he doesn't re- remember like how to eat. And he's also, you know what I thought when that scene happened too? I was thinking like, all right, you, you're taking the bite of the first apple and then you go right to the second one and it's almost like you want to make sure like all the apples are real. Oh, I like that. You know, And that's, that's what came across with it for me. That was really interesting. Also, just the symbology of apples in general. It's like, it's such a cheap object. You can go into a store and just get, you know, a sack of apples or whatever. But there's so much tied into it as far as like, whether it's, you know, Snow White or whether it's a... Uh, you know, any, anything, you know, there, there's like obviously biblical versions of, you know, Apple symbology stuff, but like, it's just something that somebody can watch that movie and apply any sort of uh, mythology to it that they want. Yeah. Did you have a clear mythology for what you were doing that kind of carried you through it? Were you kind of a blank slate with it? What were you kind of going for with, with uh, that regard?
1: Yeah, so in the first half, I I when I wrote it, it was a more traditional horror movie and there were certain parts that I like kept kind of closer to the House of Leaves book. Um but as I shot it, I kind of let those drop and as I was editing, um I would kind of cut out certain bits and I there were a couple of times where I would speak a bit more and I just found that it was better if I I left my let my character be a bit more quiet throughout the movie. But once once my character went under the blankets after talking to his his doppelganger, that's where the original cut ended and when we when I was trying to figure out like where does the story go from here, Jordan and I had to sit down and have like two you know couple hour long writing sessions where we we had to figure out what the mythology was just so we had like a jumping off point and knew where we could take the story and how it could kind of feel wrapped up and not feel like we just kind of ended the movie arbitrarily at a random point so there was a lot of discussing and trying to dig deep and and find the mythology within it. And I did leave Easter eggs throughout, um, that kind of tells what at least our interpretation of the movie is, but I think it's really fun to hear people talk about kind of what they see in it. Um, cause we, we definitely chose things to feel, you know, like there could be a lot of meaning in it. Uh, we chose like, like the apples and also like the color choices and the certain things where it's like, I want to leave things open for people to kind of read into and define meaning in, um. Whether that's the same meaning that I had when I started putting it together or not is, is is fine. I don't. I'm more excited to hear what other people think the movie is than than what my version of it is. But there was a lot of decision making to go through that um, and just find like what is the story.
0: Yeah, it um for me watching it, uh, I felt like it was almost like a movie about like almost like an eating disorder or or somebody that was struggling with uh you know some sort of food compulsion. It was a psychological thing in that regard, kind of like similar to. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen "Drag Me to Hell." Uh, uh-uh, no. "Drag Me to Hell" was a uh, Sam Raimi movie. I I thought it was it's tremendous. I think it's it's up there with like his best Evil Dead stuff and whatnot. That's that's a really good one. And there's a through line to that movie. It's not specifically about it, but food comes up a lot during that movie in these interesting ways, where there's almost like a parallel arc within the film in regards to food that I thought was really interesting. And that's why I was I was curious if you'd seen that movie because I felt like the food through line of uh of your film was was this interesting thing to focus on. Um and also food is something that you know everybody kind of relates to. Every can, everyone can relate to hunger or you know or needing food and all that stuff and you kind of tap into these free production values in that regard of like we're looking at somebody we don't know. They're hungry until you tell us they're hungry, and then suddenly we're seeing that in everything that we're watching. It, you know, you and that costs you nothing. You know, that's a, that's the cool thing when you're making these movies for no money. It's like, all right, what can I mine out of out of that sort of thing? So, am I am I right at all as far as like the eating disorder aspect? Was that something that was that you thought of, or is this just totally left field?
1: No, that's I mean, that's the first time I've heard it. And I, I really, I mean, the hunger thing was very intentional when I put that in, because like you said, it was kind of this easy way. To, it was for me, it was an easy way to show that he's been here for a long time. Because I knew that I wasn't going to kind of give any backstory on what was going on. So you had to, I had to be very heavy handed in what I in, in certain information that I would give. So hunger was probably like the main thing that I could convey, like he's been here for a long time, there is no food and the fact that he's moving around going to this kitchen there's nothing there, you know that it's hard to find things. So that's kind of where I started with, or where I was, that was kind of my jumping off point. But like I said, like, I think that interpretation of it being about, you know, if eating disorder is just as valid as anything that I come up with, or anything the next person comes up with, because I do think that house does, it, it presents so much to you that really, it it is informed by the viewer's experience. And I think that's, one of my favorite parts of it, whether or not I kind of knew that going in, I don't think I was quite as aware of that as much as I was just like, I just want to make a, a, an interesting movie. And this is what came out of it. But I, I really appreciate that kind of a, an answer. And, and I'm ex- it's cool to hear those kind of stories. And it, luckily, I'm, I'm so, you know, grateful that like the comment section of that movie has had a lot of dialogue in it. And people have been really you know great and sharing what they their thoughts on it and i've got messages from people and it's just been a really neat experience to see house have a life of its own outside of just what i expected which was just i'm gonna see i'm gonna get this movie made it's gonna be on youtube and i'll be happy i made it and that's it but it's like people have adopted it and you know ran with with what it is and just sat with the story and were gracious enough to have an opinion at all on it which is just so interesting and, and awesome and i'm, I'm grateful
0: yeah, it's a, it's kind of a trip. Like when you uh when you make something and then you put it out there in the world, and like you know it's it's this you know friend almost to all these people that you know you don't know and you you know you you haven't met and whatnot, and it becomes just a part of you know their life. It, it it's kind of a trip as far as like releasing stuff on YouTube. You know what what are your thoughts on YouTube in general as far as like as as a platform to. uh to reach people because I've, you know, and we talked about this, uh, you know, I talked about this with Jordan, but I'd love to hear your take as well. I I was turned off from YouTube after, you know, I, I started out on YouTube like 2009, I did a lot of funny little shorts and stuff and I had some minor success there, but I kind of left it to do feature length stuff because I felt like YouTube wasn't serious enough. And when it was serious, it was too cynical. It was too much about tearing people down or tearing movies down. and I just didn't feel like a compatibility as far as that. And so I left it for a while. But you know, through Joel Haver, through a number of other guys, like i'm I'm rediscovering a a more sensitive incarnation of YouTube where people are nicer and there's more sincerity, and um, people want that kind of you know honest to good, honest to God like good content out there what what are your thoughts on this current you know wave of youtube
1: man yeah i i'm with you i i've definitely i'm I'm excited with where youtube is going currently um with just the communities that are kind of popping up around it especially in like the filmmaker microcosm of it but yeah because it definitely youtube started out it was the wild west i mean the whole internet was it could be whatever um and then you know, in that 2009 era of like, I feel like 2013, 2014, it kind of became really corporate in a way. And like, I feel like, the best example of that is like the YouTube rewind videos. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But it's like, Jimmy Kimmel, and like, all these late night hosts are showing up on YouTube's, like, <laughs> yearly wrap up video. And that just was always like, they're not YouTubers, what the hell are they doing here? Um, like, and the community, definitely, like, kind of was, it was all like, I don't know. I don't know how the best way to describe it, But it was very corporate at the end of the day. Um, and, the, and the users that are around were, you know, it was just a, another means to get, you know, quick content. And it was who could make the most the quickest and, you know, with the fastest turnaround. And nowadays, I feel like there is kind of like this hunger for people connecting with each other. And that and I think the vlog kind of style videos that were coming up in like 2018, kind of kind of brought that back in a sense where, it was like, hey, I'm going to go do this today. Come along with me. You kind of built connections with people. And now I think people are starting to, you know, just keep hungering for that kind of a connection. And And I think that's where we're at now where, you know, you see these really honest filmmakers like Joel Haver and Dan Lotson that are popping up and they're just, you can tell they're just, that's their real self, both when they're talking to camera, but also just in like the movies they create. And, you know, that's just such a cool thing. And Jordan and I have been really excited to, you know, jump in just, we happen to be making features at this time when this movement is really kicking off and it's been a real like a treat to get to know so many uh, really neat people and have people reach out to us which we never experienced before. We used to think, you know, our YouTube channel was for our friends and families to watch the movies we made and now all of a sudden there's a whole other audience coming in that's just been really great to get to know and we're excited to kind of see where this path leads next. But, but man, it, it's exciting to see you know where YouTube could go in the next couple of years if if this if this trend keeps going the way it is. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys are also very educational with your YouTube. You know, it seems like every other day you're you're covering some new topic, and I I, I really appreciate that. You know, I I wrote a book, Kill the Lion. You know, it's sort of like a how-to on the kind of truly independent films that I make, and I feel like it is. It's really important to kind of give back. To the guys that are just kind of starting out, you know, that are just picking up their camera for the first time, because when I when I started making movies, if I picked up a film book on like how to make a movie, it was like a com- I was reading a commercial for studio filmmaking. You know, it was like, here's how you do it, and you need like sixty people, and you need all this stuff, and they all need to have these certain jobs, and you need to spend this amount of money. And it just, it, it, it was total bullshit because it was nothing like what I knew a movie could be. And it was important for me, you know, with my own book to make a, a book where you didn't have to like translate, you know, from like studio to English, like what you actually needed or whatever, that you could just pick it up and just do it. It's really important to you guys, it seems to provide that that resource and uh, talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, I, I mean... I'll just talk from kind of what what filmmaking has done for me i guess because um, I think it's it's i th- for me it's almost been it's like my journaling in a sense where it's it's just getting the ideas out i I have a hard time like with getting words out of my head sometimes and so thinking in in images and i mean in house i i got to kind of progress a little bit i feel like in in thinking like putting emotions into the shots without words like It's a place for you to just kind of get ideas out that have been living in your head. And, you know, if you're a new filmmaker, there shouldn't be restrictions on the right way to get those ideas out. It shouldn't be you need 60 people, you need, you know, a million dollars and you need to and your movie needs to get accepted into this film festival. And then your your ideas are valid. It's like, no, you should be able to shoot this on your phone. You should be able to make it in however long you want, whether that takes a year or if it takes an afternoon with your friends. And you just get to make the thing that you want. Um, I forgot the question. Could you repeat it one more time?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on like sharing resources for uh, for people because you guys you guys do that like every couple of days. You're talking about like here's some aspect of uh, making a movie and. Did did somebody do that for you guys when you were starting out? Did somebody share a lot of information cuz I know personally from my experience if I'm sharing information it's because I wish somebody had done that for me. You know, I I I was mostly teaching myself what I was doing and learning in that regard and I wish there had been a little bit of groundwork that I could relate to uh growing up.
1: Yeah. Oh, so one of the big channels when we were starting out, you know, this is A long time ago, now, like when we were in high school, it was Film Riot. They were the the juggernaut of film education on YouTube, and you know they were starting out, you know, just out fresh out of film school, showing how to do After Effects tutorials and all that, and that was great. You know, and they were putting into practice too, making shorts with each weekly episode, and and we really latched onto that and felt like we were getting a lot out of it. But now, when you look at Film Riot, this isn't bashing them. I still think they make great content. But if you're a no budget filmmaker and you're just getting started, like, if you went to Film Riot today, you know, they had, like, Zachary Levi guest appear on one of their episodes. Like, that's not no budget. They're shooting on, like, all these really expensive cameras. They have all the gear that they could ever want. Like, that's not accessible to me if I was, you know, a high schooler and all I have access to is, like, my parents' point-and-shoot camera that, you know, barely shoots 1080p well. So, we're come, uh, kind of approaching from an area of, like, okay, let's assume you have nothing. You can still make your movie sure, you might have to make adjustments. But at the end of the day, like, your movie is just as important as any Hollywood movie, because it's important to you. And that's, and that's what's that what matters. So that's kind of where we felt like there wasn't much of a, a voice coming from these big filmmakers of like, how to do this, because it was so, they were so far beyond it. And I don't and that's they're, they're on their own journey. And that's, and that's great that they found success in the thing that they want to make. But we felt like there was kind of a vacuum in the the sense that, you know, teaching people who are, you know, totally fresh to filmmaking, what are you going to do? Um, so that's kind of where we started at. And we're, Jordan and I are both educators. Uh, we Before COVID, especially, we were both working in schools. So um, we kind of have a heart for that and working with, with younger kids. And so getting to teach people coming up into filmmaking, I think we both just have like a, a heart for and it's a really fun thing to do for us. So it's fun to share that kind of knowledge that we found over the years. So we're happy to put out as much as we as we can.
0: Oh, definitely. I think it's good karma in general to, you know, show people how you do what you do and not worry in like an egotistical way that like, oh, they're going to be copying me if they do it my way. And it's like, it's like, no, everybody doing something is always going to be in their own way, even if they like, it's like if you're a magician and like you have like a card trick, you can show somebody how to do the card trick and everybody, every magician that performs that trick is going to perform it a bit differently. So you know, you can, you can really show your hand in regards to art creation and and teach a lot of people that way.
1: Yeah. And I want to see someone outdo us, man, that'd be so cool. I hope that someone makes a way better house than me somehow, or a better October than our movie. Like that, I can't wait to see it.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I was just, I was just thinking about this the other day, because when you, when you release stuff on online or wherever, you know, you, you, you check out the the bad reviews. You you have to. You know, it's it's it, it's in you. You're just curious, you know. And you know, I, I've been making movies for past ten years, so I I notice patterns in negative reviews. So I'll I'll kind of like see different genres of negative reviews and like be able to categorize them. And one of the ones that I encounter and I see with, you know, friends movies or whatever, you know, somebody will say like a complaint with the movie that like they're basically coming up with an entirely different movie in their head that they're, they're mad that this movie isn't Yeah, where they're like, it, it, it should have been this, this and that and whatever. And it's like, well, if you just make those changes, you can make your own movie and it wouldn't even be plagiarism. Yeah, You know, it's, it's like so far removed from the thing that the actual person actually made. So then at that point, you're just, you're just being mad at somebody for giving you a good idea for a movie, yeah. which is like the most ungrateful thing possible. You're basically saying like, oh man, this movie sucks because I just had this great idea for a movie and I'm not gonna do it because I'm just some dick on the internet. So I'm gonna take it out on this guy with a bad review. It's so ungrateful. And I wish I wish people that have that reaction, because I, I have that with movies. I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, oh man, I wish I did something else instead. But if I sit for a, for a second, like. And that's all it takes. I realize that I'm having an idea for a completely different movie mm-hmm. because if I extrapolate that, then I'm like, all right, well, I wouldn't even set it in the same place, and this character wouldn't even be in it, and this, this, and that, whatever. And then suddenly, I have a completely different movie if I really follow through on it.
1: Man, I haven't thought about it that way. I actually, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start jotting down some new movie ideas I have all of a sudden. That's
0: great. <laughs> but uh, to bring it back to what we're talking about, as far as like sharing how you do stuff, I mean. I don't know if you've been seeing this, but like the Russo brothers who did like the Avengers movies, they they just came out with this movie called Cherry. It's this like $40 million movie. It's got all stars in it, like Tom Holland and, you know, all all sorts. Everyone you see in all these other movies, they're in this movie. And it's being marketed as an independent film and as their like passion project and all this bullshit. And it's a $40 million movie. So, like I don't seek these things out, but I'm seeing like interviews with the Russo Brothers and they're like, "Oh man, we had to you know struggle to get this movie made and this, that and the other. And it's just like if you're somebody starting out and you're just being bombarded with that programming and that messaging, man, you are you are done for as far as making a movie. Like you're gonna pick some other art form or something else that you feel like you have more control over. But if you stumble on my stuff, your stuff, Joel Haver, et cetera, Suddenly, in like a couple of weeks, you could be making your first movie,
1: yeah, exactly it is so accessible and I just don't I think people still have to get past the hurdle of however it is, whatever the hurdle is for you, but like just understanding that like there there is no force stopping you other than yourself and yeah, maybe you know not every idea is meant to be a no budget idea I mean, I don't see how you'd make Star Wars. On no budget. I mean, I would love to see someone try it. Actually, that would be amazing. Um,
0: but- well, if people talk about it, if people, if every single plot point of Star Wars, if if you find a conversation that somebody can have that's visually persuasive, where like their dialogue puts images in your mind, yeah, you could tell any 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 story you want, really. Like you could talk, you can be. It can be like a a child sitting down with like their grandparent who's telling them a sci-fi like war story or something. Yeah. There's always a way in. It's just going to be a little bit out of the left field, but maybe that's what we need. We have Star Wars. Maybe we need the you know the two person one act play version of Star Wars, where it's just two people talking about a war or whatever. And that's something we can do, and that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the next movie that I want to make um, that I'm hoping to do this year is kind of that same vibe where. I mean, it's a it's basically a, a piece of Lord of the Rings, but it is getting told in this way that is so much smaller and condensed where yeah, it it's you know, it's two people for the whole movie pretty much. And I and I can't wait to shoot that one. It's gonna be so much fun. But yeah, it's um there's yeah, you're right. There is always a way. And the left field approach is so much fun to as the filmmaker, like house is a left field movie. Like it it's so it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> like getting to make something like that where it is kind of a mental exercise and you know, these more experimental movies that are, you know, just not typical, like they're fun as a for you to make, like, even if people don't get it, or if they don't like it, that's like, you know, who cares, you get to you can impress them on the next movie, make the movie that you I think this is the thing that I I try to remind myself, it's like, make the movie that you want to make. And there's probably at least one other person out there who's going to have a similar taste to you and is going to like it just as much as you do, if not more. So make that movie for them. And, you know, you'll you'll feel great about it and you can and you get to keep making stuff and you know mistakes are just a great way to learn so make a bunch of them i've made a ton of mistakes on house and i'm still really happy with that movie and i'm like i can't wait to outdo myself and fix a couple mistakes that for the next one and the next one and it'll keep going and i'll make a bad one eventually and that's going to be exciting too and it's just it's a great growing process and you're just going to go through waves and, and that's great
0: well, you definitely learned more in making house than you ever would have learned if you didn't make the movie and just thought about making the movie.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't have. And and to the Russo brothers, like, sure, I'm sure it's hard in the studio to, you know, make a movie for was it $40 million or whatever. But like, <laughs> I don't think you're going to learn that much from I have $40 million. And I just made my my movie. and It's not that great. I feel like I wouldn't be able to learn as much cause it's like, well, I did everything right. I had all this money still and the movie didn't turn out good. What did I do wrong? I feel like it's harder to get the point. Then it's like, yeah, you know, I could have done this better. I, you know, if you have no money, it's just your own resource. Like, oh, I could have, I could have written this part better. I could have shot this part a little differently because it's all on you when it's, you know, a big movie. It's like, oh, that, that grip, I won't hire him again because he messed up my movie. It's like, that's not how you're going to look at it. But it's, it's all self-reflective when you're working on your own stuff. And I think that's where the growth comes.
0: So when you guys made October together, how involved were you as far as like, like what's the collaboration like for those that are outside of you guys' process? And, you know, a lot of the truly independent films are mostly just kind of solo act things. How do you guys share a project? I know you mentioned he's more inclined to story. You're more technical. But how does it really like peanut butter and jelly together in the end?
1: I mean, it's really great that we have like eight years of history of working together. So we definitely have like a shorthand when we communicate. So it's like we, he I mean, yeah, he'll, he'll write a lot of it and he'll have an idea going in. And for October specifically, he had storyboarded out the whole movie for us as well, but we just, I kind of know what, what he wants the movie to be like. And so we can really mess around without having a whole lot of meetings discussing it. We can kind of jump in on a project together and, and just kind of hit the ground running, but like while he would be setting, like working on either with an actor, if there would be anyone on set, um, which only really for one day, I would be setting up the shot or he would be kind of going over lines for himself while I would be setting up the room to get it lit properly. Um, but for the most part, we would just show up. He'd be like, hey, here's what we're shooting today or tonight. If it was an all nighter, which there were a couple of. And then we would just start working on it bit by bit. I mean, it's I don't I don't it's so hard. I'm so It's hard to be removed from it and think about it objectively. But I mean, it really is just we talk about it. We share like the weight of directing and acting. Like if I think he did a weird line, I'll ask him to redo it. But but he knows what he wants out of it. And I know how he wants it to look generally because I have the storyboards in my hand. So we just kind of pick our point and and start working on it. And I mean, we have a great relationship in the sense that we don't like – we're never going to get offended if someone wants to make a change in the other person's project. So if I see something that he wants to do, like if I'm like, this shot's not going to work, I'll just tell him that upright. Like, hey, I think this wouldn't work. Can we try this instead? And I think pretty much 80, 90% of the time that kind of a thing happens on our set. Usually the person who suggests the change, that change is what makes it into the final movie. Because we don't. there's not a whole lot of ego attached to like ourselves when we're working with each other it's just like oh yeah that that probably makes sense we trust each other's judgment and we just kind of go with it but yeah we just we have a a rapport with each other that lets makes it very easy for us to pitch ideas back and forth and not really worry about the other person because we just know that we're we're really close and understand what the other person's looking to do
0: yeah i think that's great and do you guys have like a a time of day that you like to be shooting i i like to be shooting you know if i'm going to be rolling picture on something i like to shoot like super late at night or i like to shoot around like 4 or 5 p.m. or do you have like these like these hours of the day that are just way more productive and easier to to make something during or or what
1: man i i would love to find out if we do i've never paid attention to it before but a lot of the time it just happens that we have to shoot late Especially if we're shooting like at our homes where we, you know, our families live, because that can always make it challenging to work around other people. But we're usually pretty good at just scheduling times. Like, we, I mean, we just, if we're working on a movie with actors, the best time for us to be working is when our actor is free. And that's all we do. So if they're free at 10 p.m. and are willing to shoot till 3 a.m., that's when we're shooting. If we're shooting Jordan and I, like just by ourselves, you know, whatever time is best for that shot for the movie that's that's when we're shooting. For October, we were lucky enough to set, set a lot of it in his Jordan's room. And so we just blacked out all the windows. Um so we would shoot during the day for a lot of it and make it look like night. But for house, I couldn't do that and so we were sh- I was shooting all night.
0: <laughs> so what was you I want to ask you what was your reaction when you when you saw O oh Brother for the first time, you know, because he 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 went off and made this movie. I don't know if he he sent you pieces of it while he was working on it, but like, well, did he, did he, did he send you anything of it or did he, he just kind of like plop this movie down in front of you?
1: I remember getting the first five minutes of the movie, like the first conversation he has on the phone with the brother. Um, and he sent that to me just for like, Hey, here's what I'm working on. And he asked me just like to give general notes and stuff. But other than that, I, I don't know if I ever got to see anything in the works until it was like a completed rough cut. And then I watched it and gave more notes at that point. But I mean, my reaction when I first when I saw the, you know, the, it all put together, I was like, damn, this is a great movie. <laughs> I'm really jealous. And I was at a point where I had barely anything to show for on the project. The, the make a feature by yourself thing was totally Jordan's idea. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Knowing that I would struggle and then being mad that I was struggling through it. But it was OK. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like, this is a great idea. I mean, I think Jordan comes up with great movie ideas all the time, and he he's super humble about it. Um, but it's really fun to, like, to see whatever idea he has, and most of the time, whenever we're sh- workshopping ideas, he'll write something that he thinks we're going to shoot, and we'll we'll never actually end up making it. But it's always like, man, that would be a great movie. I can't wait to eventually make that, whether that's now or, you know, in a couple of years from now. I always hope that some of those movies come back around to get made, but it's just such a great idea to have the twin brother arguing thing, and it's such a great, simple movie, and you know, I think that shows just in the success of that movie that, you know, it's really relatable. I mean, I have two siblings um, and we a lot of those scenes like, yeah, I've, I've lived that. And I think that's the best part of Oh Brother is just how how real and authentic it is.
0: That's awesome. It really sounds like you guys are, you know, even though you you're great collaborators, you're also kind of like your best cheerleaders as well. Like you you really want to see a great movie by him and he wants to see a great movie by you as much as you want to make great movies together it's a a really it's a cool partnership it's kind of like how like you know the band kiss like i don't know how much you know about the band kiss but like they were making movie making music together uh for a long time and then they had this period where everybody went off and kind of made their own separate album so like gene simmons made his album and 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 paul stanley made his album and Like each member of the band made their own album and they all released them at the same time. But you guys are like realizing that way early on into a collaboration that that's an interesting thing to do as well. And I think I think you learned what sometimes it takes uh, collaborators many, many, many years to uh, to realize, which is that like. You know, it's not an ego blow for you to do your own thing and him to do his own thing now and again. It's like everybody's in this together. You guys are all in each other's corners. It's really inspiring to see.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's it's I mean, I, I I value it so much that we do have a partnership that we get to work on stuff together and but also like we get to enjoy each other's work. I'm in film school. I always felt like, you know, as everyone trying to outdo one another and getting to like you know it was always who could do the best thing, but like and like get recognized for that, but it was like, man, I just hope everyone makes something good when I was in school. It was like man i just I just i want to make something that everyone likes, and I'm sure everyone else just i don't know, you know it's just it's very competitive that's I guess what I'm getting at. It can be very competitive in some people's and just like thoughts
0: yeah i hate I hate when people uh bring the competitiveness of Hollywood over into the world of what we're doing because it, it doesn't really belong it should be if it's going to be competitive it should be in a oh man that was so great i want to make something awesome too not a thing of oh man that was so great now i'm a piece of shit and i have to go like mope about it or i have to tell myself it wasn't great or you know any any number of things that you go through because we're not crabs in a barrel because we're not competing for anything because because YouTube isn't like saying, "Well, I want Oh Brother, and I don't want House or whatever," because everybody can just upload whatever. You know, we should all be in each other's corners and just kind of encouraging and 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 all that. And and it's it's great to see that you know across the board. It seems like that's the general consensus. All right. So uh, the way that we end these episodes, I don't know if you've heard them before, but I I always go out on what I call stupid questions. All right. So. That's our little palate cleanser. I'm gonna come up with some stupid questions for you off the top of my head. That's just a thing we do here. Hopefully, you're game for that. Are you? Are you game?
1: I'm so ready. Okay. Yes.
0: All right. And these are all on top of uh, off the top of my head. I don't I don't plan these in any regard. So sometimes I'm talking excessively in this moment to come up with it in my head so that I can say it in a couple seconds. All right. So your last name is Hanson, right? Yes it is. How approximately how many times in your life has somebody made a Hansen reference? I'm talking about the band Hansen. Does that happen a lot or not a lot? I don't get that. I do get Hansen Soda a lot though. I've never heard of Hansen
1: Soda. Is that is that regional? I don't know if that's a west coast. I don't know if it's a west coast thing or not, but there is a Hansen Soda out here and people always ask you know is that is that your family and it's like no man i i wish i had a, a family soda company just you know that i could get free stuff from all the time that'd be great but unfortunately no
0: <laughs> yeah it'd be nice to have a soda with your name on it that isn't one of those like coke cans where like everybody's names on it or whatever like yeah like to for it to be like the only name that's ever on it, it just says hansen like all the time and be able to like yeah that's my family's soda you know that's not yours it's mine Is it a good soda? I've never had it. I've never heard of it.
1: You know what? I think the last time I had one was like over a decade ago, but I don't remember it being bad. So I'm going to say, since it's my family name on it, even though it's not my family, it's the best soda. Right on. For all you know, it could be a distant relative. You never know. I'm not going to bad talk them just in case. I might get some inheritance from it if I'm... uh if i if I speak highly,
0: yeah, exactly, Thanksgiving could roll around and and suddenly somebody from Hansen is there and is like, "Hey, man, I heard you talking bad about uh the family product and and there's this whole lineage you had no idea about. you never know
1: that would be the most awkward Thanksgiving conversation ever. That's gonna be my next movie,
0: yeah, <laughs> that'd be very good, um, all right, so another stupid question, all right, let's see, see, i sometimes I go with like names and find like a stupid question based off of a a name
1: that's a good that's a good starting point. Yeah, I like
0: it. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such an easy one. All right, here's another stupid question. Hey, you made a movie called House. There's other movies called House. Did you know that? I I did and I did not give a darn. Um, <laughs> originally, it was
1: going to be called House of Leaves and for the longest time that was on the title and then I just was like, "Shoot, I probably shouldn't name it this because I barely stick to that book at all." So I I had to let go and I just and Jordan in his brilliance was like you should just call it house and so that's what it was um yeah but uh what's great is if you if this is a recommendation I mean, on our channel, we recommend this movie too. But there's a movie called House from 1977. If I want, if I'm right, but it's this Japanese movie called House.
0: I'm I'm well aware. These are when I ask a stupid question. It's not ever because I'm stupid. It's always because <laughs> oh, no. I'm trying to be the per, I'm trying to be the guy who like thinks he's got one over on you and is like, hey <laughs> man, did you know there's another movie called House? And it's like you're gonna hear that for the rest of your life. You know, it, like there's always gonna be that guy that comes up to you and. Thinks like he's gonna break it to you that like, yeah, oh man, there's an 80s one, there's a 70s one, you know, there's there's a bunch of movies called House. Have you seen the 80s one, by the way? I don't think I have. Oh, that's a that's a pretty interesting movie. There, there, there's a very famous sequel to that movie, which has one of the best sequel names in history, which I'm so proud that I get to break it to you right now because it's like you're gonna be like, Oh my god, I wish I came up with that. It's called House two, and then a colon, and then the second story. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh, you see, I can't steal that. Oh my, it's the best <laughs> sequel name ever. The second Gosh. story, and it's called House. I'm never going
1: to make a movie again. I I quit. That's, that's the end of my career right there, because I can't top that.
0: <sighs> yeah, it, you're done. You, you'll never make a sequel to House now, because what are you going to do? You're going to call it something that's like slightly less good than that and then you're you're screwed because everyone's gonna be like you know house two the other one it's got a better colon than your colon your colon sucks dude <laughs> <laughs> everyone's gonna be like talking to you about how bad your colon is all day you know I Should go see a doctor <laughs> exactly exactly you're gonna end up in the doctor's office you're gonna have a complex about it and it's gonna it's gonna manifest within your actual literal colon yeah i knew the movies would be the death of me you see, you just stop now. Just quit now. That's that's really the message here is anybody who wants to make a film, just don't. Yeah. You know, stop now because, you know, it, it's just it's not the thing to do with your life. It's not worth it. Clearly, we're having a horrible time with it. Clearly, we're miserable. Yeah. Don't make movies, folks. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Well. Man, I love that you're doing what you're doing. I love that Jordan's doing what he's doing. Uh, it was great talking to you guys today.
1: Yeah, it was a
0: pleasure. Yeah. And uh, what do you have uh, going on next? What's What's the next project that, that we'll see from, from you guys?
1: Yeah, so we got a feature that we're currently in production of. It's called Video Carnage. Great name. Kind of a, a mystery thriller. Yeah. Um, if you're into VHS, this might be the movie for you. But yeah, that'll be out on our YouTube channel at some point. I don't have a release date yet, but probably this spring, not not too long. We don't like to sit on movies very long. So you know it's coming sooner than later if we're already working on it. So you should subscribe to our channel
0: if you haven't already. Awesome. And so the, just quickly, the editing process for your movies, how fast do you guys move in editing? Because you guys release stuff really, really quickly. We do that because we edit as we shoot. So once
1: we wrap up that day, we've edited that day's footage by the next day we're shooting. Awesome! Yeah,
0: great. Well, it was awesome talking to you, and and great talking to Jordan. I hope everybody who listens to these episodes, they're they're basically two parter, a two parter thing. You know, you listen to one, you listen to the other, you get the full experience, and uh, it it was great doing this back to back with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Again, support the show. $2 per month. Killthelinefilms.com. You're not just supporting the show, by the way. You're supporting the studio. Us making truly independent films. Thank you all for listening. See you soon.